Okay. Week two. Here we go. Rock and roll. Welcome to this podcast and this discussion. So last week um, we talked about some stuff. People who were here want to talk about the stuff that we talked about last week? talked about the fall for a little bit. Before we got to the fall. Fall of what? 2016. <laughs> <laughs> fall of 2016. <laughs> um, well, we talked about creation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's before the fall, right? We're all caught up. Which I have my own thoughts on the fall, but it's not a time for this. Oh, okay. I was thinking about it while I was working out the other day. Because I was like... Share, share with the class, right? I was wondering, you know... Did the need to exercise to be healthy... Did that occur after the fall? Because I feel like it would. Because it's awful. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. I mean, it definitely was more difficult. A lot more work. Everything's more work. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> and, and we talked about that. We, we, what did we say about that last week? What? Can't just blame Eve. Right. Because Satan tempted, and then Adam was like, okay. He went along with it. He was literally right there yeah. while it was going on. Because yeah. Adam said, oh, And that's then afterward, he was like, the woman did it. <laughs> the temptress. Oh, so... That's why women are below men. Well, we fall. talked about that. We talked about how before the fall, there was the imagery of like they were walking side by side as equals, walking with God. And then the fall came and it was like the woman is lesser. And we talked about what do we say about chapter one? It's like in the formatting of it because that was also significant to the theme of this whole Bible study we talked about how it's, a, it's, it's got a certain format and a repetition which is similar to the format of something else in the ancient world the coronation of kings yeah yeah. so the, the literature style on Genesis 1 is the same literature style as like if you had some, like a you're you're installing a king into a kingdom they would like make this proclamation that would have these like that was like very poetic and so it's the same style so so this is probably written we said not written or assembled by Moses like it had been passed down and this is after they've come out of Egypt he's like helping them remember their story of like who they are like the first five books of the Bible and so um, and so the idea is like God is the king of all creation. Don't worship all of these things because in the in Egypt and surrounding nations they were worshiping the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and animals and stuff like that. So he's like instead of worshiping these things, worship the one who created these things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the idea is like God is king, and His kingdom is cre- every creation. So like, like the temple isn't like a building. The temple is nature and creation everything like that so we kind of talked about that and then we talked about kind of building off of your side by side thing 
God makes then humanity like co-rulers with him. Like that's the imagery of like giving Adam and Eve stuff to do. He's like empowering them. And so like to name the animals. Yeah, like like to to, well, to name something is to give a yeah. like to have authority over something. Yeah. You're giving it its identity. Mm-hmm. Um you're or you're yeah, you're assigning it an identity. And so then that's broken. And so what we went through this really fast last week, but what were some of the consequences of that that moment of fall then childbirth sucks. childbirth but even like in the chapters following you have to toil in order to grow you're banished from the garden mm-hmm. feel no pain mm-hmm. what are some of the events that were like subsequent like consequences of this moment there was a couple firsts. Uh, Cain killed Abel. Yeah, first murder, and then uh, the first, re- and then the first revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off, well, the yeah, threat of revenge because essentially, as soon as he kills Cain, kills Abel. It's like, well, they're gonna kill me, and God puts a mark on him and says, "Can't, can't no, nobody can kill you, but you're gonna be live in exile for your your whole life, essentially." And then things escalate quickly, and by Genesis six. We talked about there's it, it says every, everybody is only does evil all the time that's pretty bad so we did we didn't talk a lot about the flood and the implications of that let's talk about that for a minute what do you guys think i mean we kind of blow through these stories but we talked about we did talk a little bit about how noah's ark is sort of a weird picture to put on like nurseries and children's areas because it's like the Elimination of like all of humanity, uh, pretty much. Um, but what do you guys think about like this whole idea of okay, so it says things are evil. We, we didn't talk about it a ton, but this whole idea, you know, everyone is only doing evil all the time, and so God makes this decision and, and only saves Noah and Noah's family. Like, what do you guys think about that? Does that seem like right? Does that seem like it's a little extreme? What's what are the stakes? Let's talk about that for a minute. I think it's a very daunting task for a guy and his family. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but I'm just talking about like God's decision to say, "I'm basically going to start over. I'm going to like, mm-hmm. I'm going to eliminate all like humanity is beyond." It feels very human. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. Because, like, you would th- you would think that God would, um, like, or some people might think that God would, you know, create the earth and then just okay, whatever. Like, I just am the ruler, mm-hmm. and that not it. And then, and you see the parallels of him pursuing mm-hmm. the bride. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Well, so. And I find it interesting that he wipes everything out, but he keeps a few to, like, keep things, keep the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. But, like, he could have easily just literally wiped everything out and then been like, all right, let's try again and, mm-hmm. like, make it, too. like, uh, yeah, like, make it again, like, pre- 
fall Let's try and try, that again. And try <laughs> yeah. it again. But, but like, I also, he chooses not to do that. I also, when you bring that up, it makes me think that, you know, this is God's first love. Yeah. So, like, when you think of when you have your first love at 16, 17, whatever, like, you kind of want to keep with that person or, but, like, in God's case, he's like, this is my baby, my bride. (laughs) Like, it's so weird. Like, but. So, So, let me ask this question. Does this make God fallible? Like, if if God is omniscient and he knows everything, but literally by the sixth chapter of the Bible, it's a complete train wreck. <laughs> like, what do you think about that? Does that, like, why doesn't God, why didn't God put in some better rails on this thing so that it didn't why go do off the rails? Why have to put that tree there? <laughs> I think that just goes back to the fact that he gives us free will. Like, what kind of what kind of relationship would we have with him if we were forced to do certain things or forced to follow him? Like, it's a relationship because we make the conscious choice that, like, I'm going to dedicate my life to you. And so, because of that, because of giving us the opportunity for free will, like, he also is aware that it's not going to work out for everyone. I asked a question last night to some of the youth and like why do bad things happen and it's it's the free will but then God also wants us to pursue him what what sort of relationship would God have if everything was just perfect it would it would be meaningless because if everything is perfect no decision no gust of wind is is out of place and what's the point then Mm -hmm. well i think that is the point i mean there is created perfection but yet there is a god puts that possibility of like i'm going to give this option here and you can say yeah why in the world like would you do that but i think it does go back to your comment reagan of that there, there can't be relationship if it's like Forced. Like there, like there has to be the option to, to choose not to be in a relationship. And it's interesting in the story because essentially, you know, we talked about the, the ark and then we talked a little bit about the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 where that's also like very quickly after there's a reset button, people have, all, have gotten very quickly to misunderstanding God. Like what they're building in Genesis 11 is, is, is a stairway to heaven. It's, it's that... We need God needs stairs to interact with his people. And so there's this whole idea of like God needs me. God needs me to do this so he can interact with me. It's like making God in our own image, which we I think tend to do that. We we tend to say, Well, I think Jesus is like this, not based on scripture, but I want Jesus to be like this, or I want God to be like this. I think Jesus has a beard. Like Or just even like I think Jesus would make would vote this way, or I think Jesus would you know, do this thing that I really strongly believe in and I want to feel good about kind of a thing, which we all, we do all the time. And so God quickly is like, I don't want to let this thing get out of hand. I've seen this movie before. I don't want to let this thing get out of hand. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, create all these languages and, and, but then you literally see, so this is the theme then for kind of this session and for the rest of this study is, God's desire to be known and to have relationship, but for people to know 
who God is, God's character, and what God is like. And so kind of as we get thinking about this, um, what are some experiences in your guys' lives that um, has helped you get to know God like more intimately and maybe even like more accurately? But when I say accurately, like knowing what he's really like rather than being like, oh, I think I wish God was like this. Like what are some experiences where you feel like you came to know God in a more, a closer way, but also just like you feel like a more accurate way? You can think, it could be something that happened as when you were a kid or something that happened more recently. What are some of those experiences that you've had? Maybe a different way to ask questions. How do you know God the way that you do now? Like, how did you get there? Uh, <laughs> me personally, the thing mm-hmm. that comes to my mind first is um, when I was about to start high school, my dad tried to commit suicide. And it was like, to me, just God just protecting my dad mm. was like, was really just an eye opener at that mm. point in my life. Mm. Um, and then just like as our relationship has grown mm-hmm. throughout the years from that point, like it was so broken and then to kind of rebuild it. Mm-hmm. other stuff that you feel like you've whether it's like a moment like that or it's something you sat under some teaching or had a you know something you read or something you watched maybe one other one how do you know God the way that you know him today how did you get here? I think I'm still really just learning exactly like who God is and like how I know him. Because I think growing up, it was just something that, you know, it was routine. Every Sunday, my family went to church and, um, because it was something that it wasn't necessarily a choice, like there was no development for me because it was just kind of like, well, this is just what we do. And then I'd say back when, back in 2018, when my brother really like went off the rails and was, struggling with alcohol and drug addiction and then pretty much told my family to like go to hell like he it was something that I felt so disconnected from God that I didn't really 
I just didn't have a relationship with him at that point. And I'd still, I'd say even like going into the summer, I still, you know, three years later, hadn't really felt any sort of presence from God. Like I still, and I think I still at times question on if I feel his presence, but I would say that especially like the revelation study that we had this summer, it did just reignite that like excitement for learning about him and trying to grow that relationship. And I still have a lot of growth to do. I still don't necessarily feel as connected as I wish I was, but it's definitely developing. And I think as a kid, it can be hard because like I grew up that way too. Like I've been coming to church since before I was born like it was always a point on Sunday we went to church um and really I think that I know I know God as I know him today because I took that break when I went to college I didn't have time for church I was doing theater all of the time um and then coming back this year and you know doing church every Sunday on my own volition, I was like, oh, there he is. (laughs) Like, so I've kind of felt him more in the past couple months than previously. Okay. Well, let's let's dive into this a little bit. So we see kind of God reaching out to each one of us in our different ways, but I want to go to uh, Genesis. I almost said Revelation. I got so <laughs> Genesis uh, 15. Let's start here tonight. And can somebody read just the first six verses of that? Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After this, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of of Damachus? And and Abram said, "You, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Um, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but your son, who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. You, uh, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you count, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, to him, you shall, so shall your offspring be. Um, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Did you notice how your brain went to Abraham, even though it's Abram? Yeah. He hasn't had, because the names are significant. He hasn't had the um <laughs> so what is he what is what does Abram learn about God in this just brief conversation here? Because he's telling God, he said, You haven't given me any children, and then the Lord's like, But you will. You'll have a child. And he's really old. Huh, yeah. I mean, he's, so like, humanly speaking, like, him and his wife are way past being able to, it'd be like a 70-year-old in our culture, like, mm-hmm. oh, 
not having any, never having any kids. So, so he, he learned from God that you're gonna have kids. But what else? What is it? What else is he? What? There's some implication then about what he learns about God if he's gonna, if they're gonna be, have kids and they're in their, you know, they're they're older than that, but just that God can do anything. Yeah, God has the ability to work, supersede like the laws of science and physics and biology and all that sorts of stuff. What else does he learn about God? In the very beginning. That he's here to protect him. Yeah, I am your shield, which is significant. So we skipped ahead in the story, but I mean, God gives Abraham a promise, or Abram a promise, in Genesis 12. I did it too. Um, and says, I'm going to give you this land and everything. But like within the, within a chapter, they're caught in a famine and they have to go to Egypt and he has to lie to like, as like refugees and has to lie to the Egyptians so that they can save their skin. And then there's all these other armies around them that are trying to kill them. And so like saying, I'm, I'm your great shield is like, that's significant. It's like, I'm going to make sure this happens. I'm going to keep you safe as you and just like the people he's traveling with are kind of you know, really vulnerable. Um, I think the other piece that's maybe not as obvious to you is that God's going to do something that is beyond our comprehension of how things work. So in that culture, you know, if you were childless, there was like a system of like, okay, well, my inheritance is going to get passed down through this person who's like, you know, legally is the next person that has rights to my stuff. And so that's, he's working through, that's how, he, that's how the world works. This is how, God, this is how it goes. Like, I don't have any kids, so this is the guy that's legally, you know, in, you know going get to the, get the, and so he's got a box of this is how the world works. And God's like, I'm not going to be confined by that box. I'm going to do something that is completely outside of your experience. Um. As God is establishing his relationship with Abram, why is this conversation, what makes this conversation important? Like the information that he's learned in this, these six verses, like why would this, what he's saying, saying to Abram be important for him to know? Like how do you think that might have impacted him? Well, you can see how it impacted him because in verse 6. But why, why is this important? Why is this important information for him? For Abram? Yeah. Well, he thinks that he's not going to have a child to inherit his estate, and then God's coming here and he's just like, but you will. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, and it's also like, is is this God a really real? Or am I just hallucinating? Mm-hmm. And B is this God like true to His word? He mm-hmm. said I'm going to do all this stuff. I still don't have it. Mm-hmm. So can I trust you that you're going to come through? And so the fact that He says this, and I mean this verse fifteen six comes back throughout Scripture. And Abraham, and there's a reason why we sing. 
the kids at church sing Father Abraham had many sons, and there's a reason why, you know, in both the Christian and the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith, Abraham, I mean, there's three major world religions that come out of this passage. And you're gonna see you're gonna see where in a minute. Um, I mean, they all have Abraham. We all have Abraham in common as like a very significant like ancestor and like that faithfulness. Like he doesn't really know God very well yet, and so the fact that he's trusting God this very early stage is pretty significant. And then, what does it tell you about Abraham that with just kind of this limited information, limited experience, he has a faith response? Like, what does it tell you about that he? That he trusts the Lord, that he believes him. He's got this really dynamic faith where, I mean, honestly, like, we know the story and the people who heard this, I mean, this isn't like a news report where they're hearing this in, in real time. You got to remember, like, by the time this is written down, there's like hundreds of year, years have passed. So, like, the story has been solidified. So, they, as, I mean, this is probably something you want to picture, like, people sitting around a campfire telling these stories over and over and over and over and over again. And so you know when this these verses get read, people are like, oh, I know, I know what's going to happen next. Like they, they all know it's coming, but it's also like if you could put yourself back in, in Abraham's place, like it's significant, the decisions he's making without knowing what's going to happen in the future. So God has said, I'm going to do this. Like, I've got an heir for you. It's going to be your own flesh and blood. But then we get to 16. And it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now notice the language. The Lord has kept me from having children. So she's just got some blame there. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years. So, I mean, imagine if somebody made you a promise in 2011 and it still hasn't come true. How would you be feeling about it? Like, hey, uh, Reagan, I'm going to give you um, 25 cents. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and... Yeah, I've been waiting. Ten years back. later, you see a pop-up. And I mean, how, how would you feel about me if it's been ten years and I still haven't, like, actually... I'd be my quarter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That kind of promise, it's like, whatever. But, I mean, the promise of having a child. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, but just in general, like, for anything, though, if somebody says, I'm going to do this thing, like, if it doesn't happen in a couple of weeks, we're like, okay, they must have forgotten. No, they must have. This is ten years. Well, I think it depends on the magnitude of the promise that you make we, we talk a lot about goal setting which is a promise to yourself yeah so i don't necessarily just have goals of what i'm going to get done this week i have i have things that are five and ten years out that i want to be achieving and it's hard to measure child no child it seems very binary but were they prepared at that point to have children? Well, they were past prepared, right? Because the well, no, like, yeah. were they mentally prepared? Because yeah, yeah. that's a a big thing to be sprung on someone, yeah. right? But the difference, I think, is like God promised that it, He wasn't like, okay, my goal is to have it by the end of December. Like He. Promised. He was like, I will give you children. Count the stars. That's how many kids you'll have. And then 10 years later, that promise is still not fulfilled. 
I would, I feel like I would be like Sarah. Like, I would be a little resentful. Like, you told me you would give me this, and where is it? (laughs) So, so... So she says, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through hers. So Abram agreed to what Sarah had said. After Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah's wife took, um, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And if you know the story, this does not go well. Immediately, she's <laughs> resentful. Like, um, but this is where Islam comes in, is that Islam would say, well, the promise always goes through the firstborn. So the firstborn is Ishmael, and it does talk about that God is going to make Ishmael a great nation, and he does, right? I mean, um, and so, um, so we get to 18. I want to skip ahead to 18. I'm going to read 1 through 16, or 1 through 15. Lord appeared to Abraham, now he's Abraham, um, near the great trees of Mamre, where, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well. They answered, "Do as you say." So Abraham hurried to the Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, "Get three seahs of the finest flour, knead it, and make some bread." Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who carried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and they they sat before them. Sat these before them while they ate. Stood near the tr- he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening to the entrance of the tent, which she was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself. She thought, after I am worn out, will my Lord, well, and when my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. He goes, yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> Called out. So so this is very counterintuitive. Like, what Sarah, her plan of, like, well, you can have a son through, you know, a surrogate. Like, that, again, that is perfectly perfectly acceptable, perfectly legal. Um, like, in her frame of reference, like, this is what we've got to work with. We're going to work inside this understanding, again, of how things work. I can have kids. We're going to have kids this way. And it doesn't work out well. And so now there's this encounter, which um, scholars would say this is a uh, pre, pre-incarnation of Jesus is very possible that he's one of the three visitors, that this is actually um, Jesus before he comes as a, as a baby. That a shows up. Um, there's a few of those in the Old Testament, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so, so, so God often will do things that are like counterintuitive or countercultural. So I wonder, do you guys have any times in your life where 
you were sort of challenged to step out in faith and do something that was like didn't make a whole lot of sense to like people around you or to you guys have any stories like that or any instances big or small say there's been multiple times like in my like my work life where like choosing to do like even choosing to go to my first church in New Hampshire when I had spent my whole college career like working in inner city contexts and preparing myself that way and then God's like hey but I want you to go to rural New Hampshire it's like and I actually prepared me very well but I mean it it was kind of like, really? Like, you're going to go there and do that? And then, you know, there's been other things. I mean, I, I, when I left Michigan, I mean, the, the church was ready to, like, custom make a position, like, just for me oh. to be there. And I left that to go to work at Youth Front and then ultimately to come here. And so, like, there's been times where it's like, that doesn't make a lot of Like, why don't you just stick around and, like, build your reputation and build your... And it's like, that's not what, it's never been what God's been about for me in my life. It's like building my name up. It's always been something different. So, um, so we've got this, so there's a promise. There's a promise and it's beautiful. And, and sure enough, Sarah has a child and his name's Isaac. And then we get to Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set about for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on, it, placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went out together. Isaac spoke up and said, and asked, said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from Abraham, from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was a th in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And on this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed. Um, what do you guys think about the story? Like, really? I always thought Isaac was like a baby baby. Because he's talking, which I think is actually interesting. And carrying wood. Yeah, and he's like, mountain. hey, Dad, uh, so there's a... Were we sacrificing? He's like, oh, me? Oh, like, it's interesting. I, like, I, didn't, I thought he was a baby that, like, didn't speak. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, where's the lamb? <laughs> well, son. No, I always thought about that, of, like, thinking about if I was in that place with my dad, how traumatized. Yeah, like, like, with, like did he struggle? Like, your dad ties you down and is about to kill you, and you're question. like, yeah. uh. Well, and that, and that Isaac is just seems from the story seems so calm yeah just oh dad yeah and there's no mention of like his reaction afterward yeah like it just was like yeah and then there was a lamb or there was a ram and so uh abraham sacrificed the ram instead (laughs) and it just like completely ignores isaac (laughs) and imagine being isaac just like watching this animal burn that was that almost did me. Thanks, pops. Imagine then going home and mom being like, "How was your walk?" <laughs> well, and well, how long? Food. How long were they gone? It was all right. <laughs> Look at the story. How long Three were they days? gone? He's like on the third day. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he's riding with them for three days. Fully knowing what is going to happen. He's the only, Abraham's the only <laughs> one knowing what's going on. Just like, oh. I mean, it's not like, hey, son, let's go over the hill and have a little chat. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. No, it is like, let's get the, all the supplies here. Let's get the wood. Let's sharpen my knife. It makes me think let's that Isaac wasn't super old. Like, he wasn't, he, maybe he wasn't 15. Maybe he was... Eight, I like, probably like, like ten or twelve. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe he had never done this before, so he didn't know there was supposed to be a lamb. But they no, but they but he but he obviously they've made sacrifices before. He said, "Father, where's the fire mm-hmm. and the wood are here? But where's our sacrifice? Where's the lamb? We're supposed to be I love the foreshadowing of like the Lord will provide the lamb." Like, he's trying to be like, don't worry about it, son. But then, like, he did provide the lamb. Like, after he saw that Abraham was so willing to do that, he was like, oh, no, 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 here. Okay. Go ahead. But, he, but we got to ask this question, guys. Hey, what kind of a monster is Abraham to be like, okay, God, I'm going to go kill my son. <laughs> And B, what kind of a monster is God to be like, hey, go sacrifice your son that, by the way, you've been waiting for your entire life yeah. and you've been agonizing over and you've gone through all these shenanigans to get him and now you finally got him. And what's at stake? Like, if he kills his son, what's at stake? One. Not really, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, what's at stake? He's losing the, the air that he yeah. had been fighting so hard for. Everything he's losing, every uh, everything that God's promised him will go. Will he will lose on that mountain if he kills his son? Yeah. That's also context that I was missing, like with the whole part of like him waiting for so long to have a kid, and he's like ninety, maybe. He's uh, over to have a kid. Well, yeah, he's over hundred. He's over hundred. So like, f- like I understood like him like 
like before this, I knew about like Isaac and you know Abraham sacrificing. So I didn't realize like the whole like lifetime up to that point. What I also was trying, what I wanted to consider was like, what were the servants thinking? Like, do you think they like saw him from like over yonder? Were like, what's he doing? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, cause I like, I thought that too of like, wait here with the donkey, we'll be back. But like, if it had played out that way, he returns without Isaac and servants. Like, hey, um, <laughs> where is he? I don't know. <laughs> well, if it went out that way, or if it like, it, I would, it would think it'd be kind of interesting. But, like, well, God told me to. Like, yeah. Told you to what? It's like sacrifice my kid. Which what? then I feel like that it's gets like, into the whole thing of like. <laughs> so why doesn't why doesn't Abraham when God says I want you to take your one like let's let's look at exactly what he says 22 right at the beginning of 22 take your son your only son whom you love and go out the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering like God it's very intentional. These details are all in here. They're very intentional details. I know you've been waiting for the son. I know you love him. But you gotta kill him. Why doesn't Abraham say, no, I'm not doing it? Or like, why? Well, it mentions later in the passage that God says, like, now I know that you fear me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that gets to the struggle of um, like being afraid of like if I don't do this as God is asking like what will he do to me but why is why do you think he doesn't I mean there is that part of it but just like the request he doesn't say he, there's no mention of like why my son Lord why do you because he, he knows he is a God knows that his son is everything and Abraham understands that like God has has given him this in a very long roundabout way um so he is like yeah you gave me this I believe you so let's let's, let's zoom I out guess. a minute you guys I want there's, there's a pe- no you guys are getting I'm it's a little bit unfair because I got some it. I got something that I'm gonna I'm trying to get to do without giving you all the all the facts I'm setting you up yeah what is the been the theme of this Bible study this tonight so far? Well, no. Um, we. Let well, me part of it, but. Well, no. To what end, though? For what purpose? To trust in God. Like, what is what is? We talked about it. Like, what the break? What what was the breakdown of the Tower of Babel? What was the breakdown? Like what is what's God trying to accomplish through this whole journey with Abraham? I got this. Think about it in the context of a relationship. How do you get to know somebody? By asking questions. Is that how you get to know people? Yeah. By talking to them and by being with them. And so like God has been with Abram and Abraham and like through his whole life he has constantly visited him 
saying I'm going to give you a son or whatever, whatever. Yeah, God's whole purpose for choosing Abraham is I, I want the world to know me accurately. Because at the Tower of Babel, they do not know God accurately. And the only way they're going to know God accurately is if Abraham knows God accurately and knows who he is. And so he is in the process of showing more and more of his character and who he is. Now, in this story, what is not obvious to us sitting here in Johnson County in 2021 is this is a culture of many gods and many regional gods. Even even for Abraham, not just in Moses looking backwards, but even during Abraham's time, there are multiple people with multiple religions. Most of the world religions have an aspect of child sacrifice in them. Most of those religions would have the belief that you're going to have your first child and you, you will sacrifice your first child in order to continue to be fertile. Like that's like, it's kind of like a tithe. You're going to tithe one of your kids to me. And then like, I'm going to give you, and I'm going to give you a whole bunch, but that's, that's the ancient yeah. Middle East culture, which for us, it's like, what? Because for us, it's like, if God tells you, if God were to tell me, Hey, go kill Jake. Cause he's my firstborn, right? I wouldn't have Jake. I would have just Zeke. Um, I'd be like, I don't think so. Like he's my son whom I love. Um, so there's an aspect of this. There is an aspect of God kind of going through this process of, and you, you can say like, well, how, if God's like knows everything, why does he need to do this? There's a difference between like knowing and experiencing that knowledge. Like I might know that if I bring Regan a Coke, she's going to be happy. Right. But there's a difference between like me knowing that and me handing you the Coke and watching you enjoy it and getting to have that experience. It's different, right? Yeah. One is like a theoretical knowledge and one is like an actual actualized knowledge. And that's what's going on in this passage is God is experiencing this in real time, this different. But it's the other piece for, and it's obviously there, I think there is, there are, quite, there are still disturbing questions, I think, for us to ask of this text. Because there is some trauma that Isaac's going to have for quite a while, I think. And there's some trauma for Abraham, too. But there is something that they will never forget is God saying, I don't want you to sacrifice your kids. I'm not. I'm going to distinguish myself from the other gods that you've heard about, from the other gods that are worshipped. I don't want this. As a matter of fact, there will be laws that will be explicitly said later on in the Old Testament to say, like, I forbid you to do this. And that was hugely countercultural for that time. Because, again, most other beliefs were like, it was just a given. Like, well, I guess i got to sacrifice my firstborn. Um, and so this is God saying, you are never going to forget this day that I told you, I showed you that I'm not like those other gods. That I'm different. Well, and, I'm, or sorry, go ahead. No, no. Well, okay. I was going to say, I always think about how, you know, you, you always hear people say, like, God's going to use your story to, like, others or touch others or whatever so I've always also kind of thought about this story as you know he's using this story to like show the magnitude of like God is so great that Abraham was willing to do this and like we don't have to do that but it's just like the imagery of like seeing that 
God is so great that somebody was willing to do that. And, I think and then in having that grace and that mercy and saying, like, you know, got to do that. And I think it could be like, look at this guy. <laughs> follow him. Like, like follow in, by example. And again, he's held up by three major world religions. Yeah. Like this is a this is what faith this is what faith looks like this is what it looks like to trust a God that you might again like he's still getting to know even though it's been decades now he's still and you know you think about well yeah he got to talk to God and like how awesome would that be but how often is he actually talking to God like once a year once every couple of years I mean think about like I mean you were sharing earlier Reagan about how like you haven't felt God's presence what if like you can we can experience God's presence through the through the Holy Spirit. Abraham doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Like he's utterly dependent on the memory of the whatever previous encounter. So if like, you know, think about like obviously it's tough for us because we've got social media, we're in pictures that we can see, but they don't have any of that. So let's say like I have a conversation with Carter ten years ago, and he told me some stuff, really important stuff. But then we didn't have any interaction for a decade. And then you come back again and say, Tom, I don't, like, I'm completely dependent on my faulty, you know, limited memory of what Carter's like based on the last interaction. Question. Question. Because um, you said that he's completely dependent on his memory of God and that he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Is that because we have not had... Jesus come yet to where there's that trinity? Well, there's a trinity. So God God doesn't change, but it isn't until Pentecost and the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit's available to everybody. The Holy Spirit would rest on like a person at a time. Gotcha. Like it talks about King David, like the spirit rests on King David or a prophet, but it's not like that's the whole imagery of like when Jesus is crucified, it talks about the, the veil of the temple is ripped okay. and the Holy Spirit pours out. Like that's not available. God is, God is like, again, he's, he's introducing himself gradually. And so, yeah, this is, it's just a different dynamic. So it's just, he does have pretty amazing faith for under those circumstances. Could it be like, I've always thought that God doesn't really know time very well. <laughs> like, um, and that like, is there a possibility that it could have been like, you know, years and years and years for, Abram, but you know, seconds or minutes for God. Well, God. So God is really unique in a lot of ways. But the God, if you think about like time as like this is going to get a little physics heavy for a minute. But if you think about like if I gave Carter a piece of string. And he grabbed one end of it, and I had the other end of it, and we're holding it here. Like that would be kind of how we experience time. Is like it's there's like it's like a sequential thing. But God is can take that string and do this, and He's also in it at the same time. So that's the difference. Is like He's in time with us, but He also can like stand outside of it and see. And that's just hard. That's really hard for me to conceptualize. So here's the best way I've ever seen it depict. Have you ever seen the movie Interstellar? I have. No. 
I, I just think about <laughs> the good place when they're talking about the Jeremy Baramy timeline, and it's like somebody wrote in, car- in cursive Jeremy Baramy or something like that, and they're like, yeah, that's the timeline. But then there's like a little dot above an I or something like yeah. that, and then they're like, that's just like some random piece of time. Like that doesn't really exist. So, do you have any desire to? Have you seen it? Have you seen Interstellar? Yes. Yeah. Do you have any desire to see Interstellar? Yeah. I don't really want to spoil it for you because it's a pretty big spoiler. Okay. But there is a moment at the end. It's like the that's, that pulls ties together what's been happening the whole movie. I think that is the best depiction I've seen on film of how God used time. Okay. Because time is like a whole that whole movie is about like this happened on Earth and it took like fifteen minutes on this planet, but that was like. 10 years on earth like Mm -hmm. because of different they've done like astrophysicists have done studies on like a specific the way gravity works it like changes how time flows and how you experience time and stuff like that and so like he goes down to a planet and it's been like literally 45 minutes for him and he goes back up to the ship and like a decade or so has passed on the ship where he just came from and so but there's something that happens yeah when he goes into a he goes into a black hole and that Yes. Got it. Movie sweet. Yeah, so it's. That. Have you seen Tenet yet? Oh yeah, I own. I own all of his I movies. Seen <laughs> I yeah. I I would actually, guys, I would love to do a movie night at yeah, my house sometime. Awesome. Let's watch I need to watch the game. And connect it back to Have the you Bible. seen The Prestige? I own all of his movies. Yeah, yeah so he's like my favorite. Have you ever seen The Game? I own that too. <laughs> she showed me the game. <laughs> I probably <laughs> have. What's that? Who is this that you're talking about? That you own all of his movies? Christopher Nolan. Right. He did like um, Inception and The Dark Knight and all those movies. So, yeah. And Tenet. Tenet. And Tenet. Yeah. Just like if 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 you think Inception is mind blowing. Oh wow! Watch it. Well, Tenet is basically a spy movie where time is moving forward and backwards simultaneously. Oh yeah. Oh, like the last five years. Have you seen Memento? Oh yeah, I I own all of his <laughs> movies. That's a, that's a Paul Thomas Anderson, Christopher Nolan. It's a Nolan movie. Yeah, it's his first. It was his first Hollywood. Oh, yeah, you know, he owns this guy. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Out, Colin. Jeez. I thought that was a big movie. Yeah, yeah. When, when you zoomed in, I'm like, that's not Christopher Nolan. I can't stand you sometimes. <laughs> All right, we're going to keep moving. Okay, so the Bible. Fast forward about 23 chapters. Genesis 45. I was like, somebody do the math. Genesis 45. So one of the big obstacles of people in the Old Testament is that you see the presence of evil and God can seem very kind of judgmental and it seems very harsh. And there's a lot of things in the Bible where you see a lot of the injustices and atrocities that people do towards each other. But I want to read through this section, a couple different sections here, and then I want to talk about what you learn about the character of God from these verses. Um, so this, is, this is Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there he, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So this is the Joseph with the many-colored coat 
and he's he's been sold into slavery. He's become the second in command in Egypt, and he's finally letting his brothers know what has happened. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into, into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there were no, will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then as it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made, he made me father to, to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire house, um, his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen, and it shall be near me, you, your children, and your grandchildren, and your flocks and herds, and all that you have. And then we're going to flip over to Genesis 50, 5 starting at verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that his father was dead, they said, What, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive, you, please forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to him, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So what do you learn about who God is and, the, and, the, and, and how does Joseph in these two passages reflect kind of the heart of God? sold him into slavery and then he gets promoted all the way to second in command and he could easily you know throw him in jail like I know he played a little bit of a prank on them at first yeah <laughs> yeah but he could like easily have them killed yeah he could do whatever he wants about it but he's just like no this was God's will like it ended up the way that it needed to and he forgives them and he has he gives them that grace by the way, do you guys know how much how much the money they got for Joseph? Wasn't it like not much? It wasn't a lot. Twenty shekels of silver is the equivalent of a disabled person. They got the price of a disabled person. Oh my god. So it literally wasn't about the money. It was just like It was just, just because they didn't like him. We just want to get rid of this guy. First of all, buying people, but then right. also being like putting different prices on like their ability. Like, well, and why uh, they? That doesn't make any sense because he wasn't disabled. Shekels to dollars. What's that? What'd you say? 
He wasn't disabled. Right. Yeah. Um, let's they see. Just, sure. They accepted that price because they just wanted to get rid of Did you ask shekels to dollars? What is one dollar? Uh, just one dollar. Uh, real quick here. Shekels to dollars. Uh, I really want to have my Google buried. history. What did you say? I want that in my Google search history. It's... Shekels to dollars. <laughs> so one shekel equals 31 cents. Yeah, it's eight, it's eight ounces of silver. Oh, that's a lot. That's, like, that's the Israeli shekel. That's, uh, that's, the Israeli shekel. That's yeah, I was going to say, because to that, but, that would be $6.22. <laughs> no, but, but no, but, but, Can but I get think receipt? about it, though. Eight, eight ounces is not, it's less than a pound of silver. Yeah. That's not, that's not a lot. That's really not a lot. So... Joseph had cost <laughs> <laughs> the US dollar. But but so here but here's kind of the point I'm driving at is that so there's an injustice like there's an injustice of that slavery exists, there's injustice that they're selling people, there's an injustice of what that Joseph was done dirty and had to suffer through all this stuff. But there's also a perspective that Joseph brings to all of it that allows him to be okay with with what and what's his perspective? Because that's important. Like to me, like that God forgave them. In the well, but what is He able to do because of what happened? Like what? There's a there's something amazing that happens because of what Joseph has gone through. He talks about it in the the first passage, which was um, forty five one through ten. Doesn't He save them because there's famine where they were, and so He was able to make it make Egypt more accommodating to his people. Like he, well, yeah, I mean, he saves the Egyptians and the Israelites. Like two cultures of people get saved from a, like a, a seven year famine. Like if he would have just rolled up to Egypt and be like, Hey, I'm Joseph. Um, you need to start saving your food. Like they wouldn't have listened to him. The only way that he even gets access to the, to the throne room is through this like really convoluted mm-hmm. sequence of events. So this answer says the denomination of the silver coins was called shekels. Coins containing that amount of silver, about the size of an American silver dollar, would be worth about $10 today. Thus, the 20 pieces would be worth about $200 today. Which is significant from the sense of, like, in the ancient world, but still. But still, like, well, yeah, that's significant, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of, like, a person's lifetime, that's still, like. Yeah. I think you still sold your brother for any amount of money. Soldier brother, but he got him back with that good old April Fool's. Yeah, jokes on you. But there's this bigger kind of ethical question because I'm not gonna just go there, Reagan. This is is a bigger picture. No, I was just curious about like how much that would equate to because I. Anytime we talk about the currency, like from yeah. back then, I'm like, I don't know what that cost. Like, I don't yeah. know what that means. Yeah, right. So, like, two hundred dollars. <laughs> but how do you guys feel about that? I mean, the, the the bigger picture of like God allows Joseph to go through all that, and there ends up being this redemptive. Like, he gets he's able to be in position then to like save all these people's lives. But he's still a human being that had to go through really crappy. I mean, it was not like it was like a week. It was year. I mean, years and years of his life that he lost, like in prison and going through all this stuff. Um, how do you guys react to that idea that God, that just you know, 
God let him go through all that stuff, even though he's doing something redemptive in the like, in the meantime. Well, it doesn't feel very good. Because, like, it feels like then, like, oh, well, I'm gonna have to go through these struggles. Like, have to. And, like, God may be there, but he's, like, he's still, like, kind of put me through this. Well, and I think about, again, what I was saying earlier, of just, like, using someone's story, because... I was, and granted, this is not always, like, the most positive way to think about things, but, like, he was sold to slavery by his brothers. What I'm dealing with right now is not nearly as bad as that. (laughs) So if he can remain faithful and continue to put his trust into God day in, day out while experiencing that, why is it that when I'm going through this, like, significantly, like, minor thing, And why might this be an important story? Again, we're talking about Moses later on after he's gotten them out of Egypt. Why is this maybe an important story? He's a big part of why this is these first five books of the Bible are collected. It's for them to know what God is like because they really don't know. And also to make sure that um, to, to know what God is like, but also to know who they are. Like, to know, how did you get here? How did you get to this place where you are today? So, what's important about this story for them to know? Like, what is what is the important... If you're like a... Well, even for us, like, what's important for us to know about God is our takeaway from, about, from this... from the Joseph narrative... And that God's working through. I mean, so I usually use the imagery a lot with like a basketball, but the pillow works just fine. If you think about like that pillow and it has designs on it and stuff like that. If your life is like one little thread, part of a thread on like one side of that pillow. And like the immediate area around that. So just fix your eyes to like that little middle of that pillow next to Carter the red kind of like it looks like a teardrop almost it's like a kind of a crimson color right there if you think about like that's that's where you're at and that that area of the pillow is like your life experience and like what you can see well there's a lot more pillow and there's a whole other side to that pillow that you just can't even see right (laughs) Like, you have no idea what's going on in the... Like, if that's your life, like, if your whole life fits... Sorry, podcasters, you can't see this. Um, Should have been here in person. (laughs) If this is your whole life and all of your life experiences, you don't know anything about any of this, and you know absolutely nothing about any of this. All you can see is this. God gets to do this. And see it all at the same time. He gets other pillows too. He gets more pillows. Um, But that's. um, She's going to bed. (laughs) It's getting past nine o'clock. Regan's like, I'm tapping out. (laughs) Oh, cool. Um, We're getting we're getting close to the we're getting to the landing strip. So 
for tonight. <laughs> um, but I think that's that's an important part of this narrative is that I think it's easy to look at, and I think the other the other thing, and this this is something that would maybe be something for you to write down is everything in the Bible is not prescriptive. Meaning, like everything you read in the Bible is not like, well, this is how you're supposed to live. I think. It actually really bothers me when people say, when you, well, what is the Bible? It's the God's instruction book for life. Oh, so selling people into slavery for 20 shekels of silver is part of God's instruction? No. So not everything that people do in the Bible is, raining from the sky is, is, is like what we're supposed to follow. Sometimes it's just descriptive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's thing, there's just, they're telling you this is what the world's like. This is how the world works. And then there's a redemptive story in the middle of it, but like, so there's a lot of stuff that happens in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God is not cool with, but he allows us to be free people and we make choices and we have, we can work redemptively in the middle of the situations. But I think it's really important. Like when people say, man, there's all kinds of horrible things in the Bible. Like, well, how much of that stuff did God actually tell people to do? And how much of that stuff did people just do? Or did God tell them like a sliver of it and they like extrapolated it out to, well, if you told me to do this, then that means I can do all this other stuff. It's like, well, no, I just told you to do this thing, not all of this other stuff. So that takes us into, so you get to the end of Genesis and you think, man, it's a happy ending. It's beautiful. Like Joseph saved the day. God worked this great plan. But man meant for evil, God used for good, and that's like a bumper sticker, and it's like, it's a great, it's great, because it's true, God does that. But then you get to Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come so that we may deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with a forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during the childbirth on the delivery stool, you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do whatever the king of Egypt had told them to do and let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave the order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So you've got this moment and you think, man, this is terrible. Um, how do you think this four? This is a four hundred year period um, that leads up to this moment. 
how do you think like living in this environment for 400 years affected the Israelites' self-image? How they thought of themselves and how they thought of God. Like if that's all they knew was we are, I'm a slave and my dad was a slave and my grandfather was a slave and my great-grandfather was a slave and my great-great... We just always have been slaves to the Egyptians. How would that affect your self-image? I mean, you would probably think you're not very... I'm going to say not worth much, but I don't mean in money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Like, well, because then you... Could you wonder, like, am I really this worthless that God just... Abandoned us? Yeah. Well, and it goes back to also just the whole idea of well, it seems like the gods of the Egyptians might be the real deal because they're the ones in power and we're enslaved. So our God seems pretty quiet. He's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. And so that's why, again, Genesis, what, what's been written in Genesis and is going to be written is so important because they're trying to recapture this. Like, who is God really? Because we're not really sure. Now, this looks like this moment of like, man, this just stinks. It's, a bad, it's bad luck, like unforeseen you know, that this happened. What a tragic moment. But we're going to go back to Genesis 15 for a minute. 15? Back to where we started tonight. And so when we read it first in Genesis 15, we stopped at verse 6. But I want to read from 12 to 16. I want to show you something. As the sun was setting, Abram, so this is before he has Isaac and before all that kind of stuff. So as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So wait a minute. You mean way back? So God already knew this was going to happen. And he straight up told Abraham. So you wonder, was there any moment when Joseph or Joseph's descendants put this together of like, we are in a strange land. We're going to be slaves pretty soon. We're going to be slaves for 400 years. Like this all... Mo, the fact that Moses was going to come and Moses was going to do all this stuff, God was telling Abraham hundreds of years before this, trying to prep him that this was going to happen. Were they slaves when Joseph got there? No. No, because it was, remember the beginning of Exodus, it says, it was when that Pharaoh died, mm-hmm. a new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph or anything that Joseph did came into power. Was a, because there were so many Israelites, he was afraid of them. And he said, it was racism. Yes. It's like, it's. I'm looking at this ethnic group. We need to control them, so we're going to put them in. And then you see really the first, you see the first example of civil disobedience in the Bible with the midwives who see an unjust law and say we're not going to follow it. Like, you're doing something that's not right, and it's not right to God's laws, and so we're not going to, we believe that God values the sanctity of human life, and so we're, you want us to kill these babies, but God told us something else, and so we're going to listen to God, or we're not going to listen to you. 
and we're not going to let these ba- these little boys die. And they actually lie to the Pharaoh, right? And Pharaoh bought it. What a loser. Come <laughs> on. He was like, oh, yeah, they, they just have babies quickly. But this is an this is an, a, a, a very early example of the Bible of, like, humans having an unjust law that's against God's law and God, like, saying, empowering them to say, yeah, you don't have to follow that. You don't have to listen to that because that's not what I want. And so, um, so he's not, um, so he's not surprised, but then you get to Exodus three. So we're going to go back to that string metaphor. Cause watch this Exodus chapter three, verse one. And Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the prince of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to, to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so this is like the fulfillment of what he said way back in Genesis 15. So like there's there's an element of God standing outside of time and watching this and saying this is going to happen. And then this is the example in Genesis 3 or Exodus 3 of God being in it with them. Uh As he's experiencing, I hear your cries. My heart breaks for you, even though I knew, again, I theoretically knew this was going to happen. But now I know this is happening because I'm with you in this. And I'm going to respond to your experience and bring you out of this. And when Moses hears this, he's probably like, yes, God is like going to do his thing until he says, you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Like up until verse nine, Moses is like, man, God is, I knew it. Like this is the God of Israelites is the real true God. And then he says, I'm going to send you. And he goes, uh, can you pick anybody else? Um, but you kind of see this thing. You see this. You see um, Moses kind of use it, utilizing this guy, and so you go into Exodus four, and he gives all his excuses, and God has to prove. And it's really in- cool to me how patient God is with Moses, as he gives all his objections of like, well, what if they don't listen to me, and what if they don't believe me, and what if they don't? And every time he has an objection, God's like, I, I, you're my guy, you're my guy. You're the one I'm going to, you're the one who's going to do this. You're the one who's going to use this. And so then you get to Exodus 14. And this is kind of where we're going to wrap up tonight. And if you look at, starting at verse 10, and we're not going to read all through all this. 
but you, this is, and you can read this on your own, but it's, it's Moses walking through um, the Red Sea. And it's this moment, I mean, it's perfect, it's a perfectly cinematic moment. It's been made into lots of movies because it is. It's like they get out of Egypt, they escape, they're going, and they're on the edge of the Red Sea. And then the people are like, what are you doing, God? Like, why did you bring us out here? Just let us get killed. In this very dramatic moment, Moses parts the Red Sea, people walk through it, and then Pharaoh's army is utterly destroyed by the Red Sea behind that. And again, this is all in the service of God is trying to help his people know, like experience. He could just tell them, I'm all powerful and will defeat the Egyptians. But how much more powerful is it for them to actually walk through the Red Sea and watch this happen? Well, and as I'm reading it, mm-hmm. um, I think it's even more powerful because Moses cries out to God and is like, what do we do? Like, get us out of here. And God says, um, he says, uh, why, are you call- why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand, and divide the sea. Like, that God has given now given Moses the power to divide the sea. It like it's even more powerful because they're like, whoa, God did this, and now Moses can. Yeah. So yeah. So go. We kind of went to this last part really fast because I could see you guys are getting tired tonight. But um, what picture do you get of God after kind of this? We went through a pretty good chunk of scripture tonight. In this process of God helping people to know him and know what God is like. What what image do you get of God? Like, what's God like? Based on what you just, if, if this is your sample size of like getting to know God, what's God like based on what you read tonight? so tired Tom no you're like the part of the Red Sea didn't remind me of this meme so okay sorry. <laughs> what do you think what's God what's God like he's like he's like your grandpa <laughs> okay you have to talk you have to say more about that like <laughs> Like he's always there. The Holy Spirit, the grandpa. Whenever I hear grandpa, I just think of grandpa from The Simpsons too. So that's my that's my image. It kind of makes like I don't know. It just drew this parallel, like that your grandpa's always there for you. Your grandpa always believes in you. He always says like, "Kill your kid." No, (laughs) like you can do it. Like I will be here with you. But like even though you know you go home, you may not see your grandpa for a while. Like, but he's always there. I don't know. Well, and he's very intentional to meet them where they're at in their understanding. He's not mm-hmm. throwing stuff at them that's like, I mean, they're definitely, he's expanding their understanding. He's expanding their understanding. And he's challenging like their paradigm and saying, like, hey, I'm not, I'm bigger than what you think I can do. I can do more than you think. But he always works with them in that moment. Like, I think that's the reason why you don't see the Holy Spirit show up explicitly or Jesus really show up explicitly and they because I just think that's that's too much for them. He's like working with them on a very basic, like rudimentary level 
Let me, let me just get the idea of God. God in us. Let me just get that. It's going to take a couple thousand years. Let's get let's get that down. And then we'll get into like coming like there's a son and a holy spirit. Well, and they 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 do I mean the, the holy spirit does show up and like I we kind of re- referenced earlier. There is like pre-existent versions of Jesus that show up too, but I think God was really like working with their understanding of how did, how did deities work. And really the biggest piece in this whole thing is up to this point, deities are pretty regional. Like this is the God for this area. This is the God for this area. And so the fact that God's saying like, I'm going to send you to a far off land and I am also going to be there that blew their minds like a global god that's overall is just not something that they had any form of reference from so god is continually stretching and expanding but at the same time he's like meeting them right in the middle of where they're at and so um, as we kind of continue on this journey through this study like that's going to continue to be expanded god's continue to give them more information and more experiences to like solidify but it's all about relationship like you were saying the beginning right and it's it really is like all about god forming this relationship with the the bride and the groom kind of what you're saying earlier too so so that'll kind of call it for tonight and we'll jump back in maybe next week maybe two weeks but um yeah we'll keep rolling through